Thank you, Rabbi Simon, for those kind words. And I'd also like to wish everyone a Freilich and Hanukkah. But before I can do that, we have to spend a few minutes clarifying if that's actually what Hanukkah is about. And the truth is, as quickly as those words come to our mouth, a Freilich and Hanukkah, a happy Hanukkah, it certainly seems like a very festive time, certainly seems like it's all about happiness. The truth is, it's not so clear what exactly is the theme and what exactly is the message and the operative mood of Hanukkah? And it's worth looking for a few minutes at some of what we find discussed in the Svarim. So if we were to look first at the Rambam, the Rambam in Hilchus Hanukkah, it does seem pretty clear from his language, this is in Parak Gimel, it does seem pretty clear from his language that Hanukkah is a day of Simcha. He writes that Chazal instituted this occasion as Yemei Simcha Bahalal, as days of praise, but days of joy and praise. And Rosh Shlomo Kluger, in his commentary on the Rambam, he focuses on what that means practically. We know that when we have an obligation of Simchas Yantif, that sounds like it's an emotional commandment, but what it manifests itself in as far as practice, we know is an obligation of Suda. So therefore, the question presents itself, is there an obligation to have a meal, to have a Suda on Hanukkah, presumably then throughout the eight days of Hanukkah? So it sounds like from the language of the Rambam, establishing these days as days of Simcha, rites of Shomu Kluger, that there is indeed an obligation of Suda on Hanukkah. And that's also the attitude that one gets from a few other Rishonim. For example, Tosfus and Masachas Tainis and Dafir Chesim and Beis is going to be Daf Yomi coming up right away. It's going to be Daf Yomi right in the beginning of Hanukkah, very appropriately. So Tosfus there also sounds like Hanukkah, just like Purim, is the day of Simcha with an obligation to eat. It's also the impression one gets from the Shiva Sarashba and also from the Megillah Santiochus, who's a Megillah that was apparently written by the Chashmanoim. There also we get the impression that. Hanukkah is a yontif for the day of happiness, a day of celebration, and therefore the notion of having a sutta, of having a meal, is necessary for Hanukkah, just like on Purim, and just like the Yom Tovim Minhat Torah. However, when we turn to the Shulchan Aruch, the Shulchan Aruch in Simon Tafresh Ayin, it's not so clear that there is actually such an obligation. And the Shulchan Aruch refers to the meals that one tends to have on Hanukkah as a rishos, as something that is optional because Hanukkah apparently is not established for the purpose of Mishdeh v'simcha in the Shulchan Aruch's view, but rather it's there for the purpose of Hallel, it's there for the purpose of praise, but it's not necessarily about rejoicing. So therefore, in the view of the Shulchan Aruch, we don't have an obligation to have meals. And if we do have meals, which many of us certainly do over the course of Hanukkah, so then that is something that's a voluntary act. It's not actually an obligation. And in the tour, he quotes this view from the Maharami Rutenberg that the meals that one would have on Hanukkah are a voluntary act, an act of a rishos. If you look at the Ramah, Ramah commenting on the Shulchan Aruch and also in his Darki Moshe commenting on the tour. So the Ramah says, well, it's somewhere in the middle that it's a ktsas mitzvah. It's a, a little bit of a mitzvah. It has some mitzvah component. 
And he modifies this a little bit. He adds some more detail. First of all, he understands that the notion of a Sudas Mitzvah and Hanukkah should be associated with the fact that there's a Hanukkah Samizbeach, that there's the rededication of the altar, and therefore that should merit Simcha, should merit rejoicing. And then, as a practical matter, he writes there, that uh, sing to have zmiros that are in honor of the day, that will create a reality of a sudas mitzvah. So there we find essentially what seems like three different perspectives just off the bat. We talk about happy Hanukkah, a freilich Hanukkah. So is it a time that we observe in a way that's similar to Yom Tovim and Torah, where we have an obligation of Simcha that carries with it a chi of suda, or is it like Purim when we know that we have a chi of suda? So here we find our range of opinions. The Rambam seemingly seeing it, yes, as a day of simcha, and as is understood, therefore, as an obligation of suda as well. Shulchan Aruch saying we don't have an obligation of suda. The sudas that we have are a rishus. And we have the Ramah saying something in the middle that it's a ksas mitzvah. It's something that we should have a, a little bit of attitude of obligation towards these meals and throwing in these elements of the Chanukah Samizbeach and also that these miros that we sing and the whole environment and the atmosphere that we would bring to our sudos that would create a sudas mitzvah. Uh, the Taz commenting on the view of the Shulchan Aruch emphasizes the understanding that we mentioned before, that if the Shulchan Aruch thinks that there is no obligation of Suda on Hanukkah, it's because the Shulchan Aruch doesn't see it as a day of Simcha per se, but rather as a institution of Chazal for the purposes of Halel Vahodah, there to give praise and to give thanks, but not necessarily for rejoicing. The Maharshal, he quotes the opinion of the Maharshal in his Sefer Yamshul Shlomo on Bavakama, where he has there a whole discussion of the whole notion of Sudas Mitzvah, and he talks about Siyumim and uh, Bar Mitzvahs and the like. So there the Maharshal takes the side of the Rambam. He thinks that it makes sense that there should be a Suda on Hanukkah, and that anything that we do in the context of a Suda to publicize a nace, that would make it into a Suda's Mitzvah. And that's what we mean by a Suda's Mitzvah, that here this is a fulfillment of our goal on Hanukkah to make sure that the miracle is publicized. And therefore, to have a Suda would be an appropriate reflection, appropriate fulfillment of that idea. The Aruch HaShulchan adds over there as well, that this notion of a that the Rama expressed, Sarah Shulcha notes that there's just a reality that the Simcha Sanefesh, as he puts it, if you want to have a soul oriented type of enjoyment, so if you want to have an elevation and elation of the soul, you're going to need to have some degree of physical enjoyment as well. So there's a, a complementary nature to those experiences to have a little bit to eat is going to uplift the soul as well. And therefore, as a matter of practicality, as he understood it, there is a connection between the two. And some of the Svarim point out that the tour, as we noted before, the tour, which the view of the Shulchan Aruch was based on, that there is no obligation of a Suda on Hanukkah. The Torah was quoting the Maharami Rutenberg, 
But the Maram Rubenberg himself and his Sefer Haman Hagim notes that in his day, it was a widely established principle to have a Suda on Hanukkah. So it wasn't necessarily something that he was presenting as a chiv, as an obligation, but as a matter of practice, that this is what everybody was doing. This is what was all over the place. Everyone was having a Suda on Hanukkah. And that certainly seems to be something that makes sense. There's a Sefer called Hanukkah Savram that collects a number of beautiful essays from many gedolim, many mechabrim of all kinds on topics of Hanukkah. And there is a piece there from Rav Gershon Edelstein where he notes that the connection that we would have today between a Suda and the proper acknowledgement of Halal and Hoda and Hanukkah has to do with, as he put it, the Yeridas Hadoros, that maybe once upon a time we were on such a level that we could appreciate through pure spirituality, we would be able to have a mindset of simcha that wouldn't require us necessarily to engage in a suda. But today we need a little bit more help. We need a little bit of an assist in order to get to that mindset, in order to put us in that frame of mind. So therefore the suda has become something that brings us into that place. And that's the role that it plays. Rivaku Vatsal Jolti, in his Sefer and Mishnah Yavetz, so he has a very technical approach to this. He notes that just as far as what Chazal could ordain, so there's a technical issue in terms of making a Chi of Suda on Hanukkah. And that there is a discussion in the Talmud Yerushalmi. What would happen if Purim would fall out on Shabbos? So here in America, Purim doesn't fall out on Shabbos. The 14th of Adar never falls out on our calendar on Shabbos. But in Yerushalayim, it can happen. The 15th of Adar can and does sometimes fall out on Shabbos. And that creates a whole interesting discussion as to how the mitzvot of Purim should be fulfilled and what exactly we should do with the various obligations. And that creates a reality known as the Purim HaMesholosh, the three-day Purim extravaganza that the various mitzvot of Purim have to be reassigned or have to be figured out exactly what can take place on Shabbos, what should be pushed up, what should be pushed down, what should happen on Friday, what should happen on Sunday. So they get spread out over three days. We have this concept of a, a Purim Mesholosh. So in that context, one of the details that has to be figured out is the obligation of Suda. On Purim, we know that we have this mitzvah, we have an obligation to have a suda. So when should that take place? What are the three days? When should that happen? So the Talmud Yerushalmi has the view that we shouldn't have the suda of Purim on Shabbos. Because we have a obligation of asiya, that's the language of the Megillah, that we have to make a big deal out of Purim. We have to create a simcha. And on Shabbos, the simcha is already there. That's an interesting discussion of itself, whether simcha is really a concept that's associated with Shabbos. We know that simcha is an obligation on Yantif. Is there a notion of simcha on Shabbos is actually a discussion, but that's the framing of the Talmud Yerushalmi, that we already have an inherent simcha on Shabbos. So to say that we can fulfill our obligation on Purim to make a simcha, to create something new, and to rejoice in that way, it's not going to work on Shabbos. It's already there. So therefore, the Suda of Purim has to be moved to a different day. So says Rishalti, if that's an inherent issue, 
So then Hanukkah, if we have eight straight days, so presumably they're all equal. Whatever obligation we would have of a Suda would apply on any day. And there's always going to be a Shabbos. Maybe there'll be two Shabbos. So there'll be, over the course of Hanukkah, a time when we can't have an obligation of Simcha following this pattern of Purim. So therefore, he's suggested from a technical perspective that Chazal couldn't formally obligate a Suda on Hanukkah, even though, from the spirit of the day, it would have made sense. It would have fit to have a Suda on Hanukkah. And therefore, what about the Rambam? So the Rambam's position, he doesn't bring this Yerushalmi. So therefore, maybe the Rambam doesn't think it's inherently a problem to have a Suda for Purim on Shabbos. So if you can have a Suda for Purim on Shabbos, you could have a Suda for Hanukkah on Shabbos as well. And therefore, maybe in the Rambam's understanding, yes, there is an obligation throughout all of Hanukkah, and even the days of Shabbos and Hanukkah, that's also a fulfillment of the Suda for Hanukkah, it's not a problem. You could have them both overlapping and that could work. So that's a technical approach to this question of whether there should be an obligation of Suda on Hanukkah and whether it's something that Chazal had actually instituted as an obligation. But here we have the Ramah saying that we could take care of the question by kind of creating a Suda's Mitzvah that if we're going to have Zmiros, and if we're going to have singing, and we're going to create a spiritual environment during the meal, so that'll be a Sudas Mitzvah anyway. So whether or not we have an obligation, we can make it into a Sudas Mitzvah through the way we observe it. So based on this, the Primagadim raises the question, okay, so it sounds like it's not automatically a Sudas Mitzvah. It's a Sudas Mitzvah because of how we behave during the Suda. So if that's true, so maybe we could make any meal into a Suda Smitzvah on any random day. We could decide to sing Zmiros and speak the Torah and engage in spiritual activities over the course of the meal. And that will also make it a Sudas Mitzvah, so it'll be equal to Hanukkah, apparently. It's what it sounds like from the Ramah. It sounds like it's all dependent on what we do, so that let anything turn out that way. Let's make a Suda on any day of the year. And that will also have the aspect of mitzvah if we associate it with Zmiros and Tivrei Torah and the like. So in the Sefer Otsar Machmadim, he points out that he doesn't think that's what the Ramah means, that we just have the ability to convert anything into a Suda's mitzvah through Zmiros. But rather, it's something that connects to the existing mitzvah of Hanukkah that everyone agrees that Hanukkah is a day, that it's a day that we have to acknowledge God and his miracles and that we have to praise him. So in order to be able to do that, we have to create a mindset that is prepared to do that and is focused on this kind of acknowledgement. So the Suda, if we're going to have a Suda that's going to create this kind of an atmosphere through, yes, the enjoyment of the meal, but also its spiritual elevation through the singing and through the Divrei Torah and through constantly pointing to the theme of Hanukkah. So this is going to help orient us in a mindset of So being on Hanukkah, that we have this mitzvah to acknowledge God and to praise Him, and 
that's what these murals help us do. And that's how it creates a whole reality about our meal. So that's what the Ramah means, that it wouldn't necessarily have the same effect on any random day of the year. But on Hanukkah, when it's all about and you can have a meal that itself is going to be an expression of putting us in a mindset of so then that becomes a Sudas Mitzvah in its own way. And that has a fulfillment of this notion of Sudas Mitzvah. It's also interesting, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, in his Chidushim Vibiyurim al-Hashas, so he discusses this Rambam, and he focuses on what the Rambam is saying there, that apparently there is a Chiyav of Simcha, and also a Chiyav of Halal, and he understands that they address different aspects of what Hanukkah is about. And he suggests that the simcha, that is on the military victory. The fact that we prevailed in the war against great odds, which is what we invoke when we daven and when we bench and we add al-hanisim into the text. So the fact that we were able to be victorious in that context, so that is what merits a simcha. And the pach which represents presumably more than itself, but represents God's continued involvement in our lives. So that's where the halal and hodah is meant to represent and is meant to connect. So that's an interesting idea. And it's evocative of a concept that we find in earlier svarim that focuses on the language of the Shulchan Aruch. So we saw that the Shulchan Aruch was of the view that Hanukkah is not really about physical celebration. It's not really about a meal, but it's more about halal hadah purely in contrast to Purim. So why is it different than Purim? So what's often quoted is the view of the Lavush. Bach quotes this and many later Svarim quote the view of the Lavush, that the difference between Hanukkah and Purim has to do with the nature of what happened. That on Purim, we were threatened physically. Haman wanted to wipe us out completely. And we were saved from that. We were saved from physical destruction. So it makes sense that the commemoration of Purim happens through a physical celebration, happens through a Suda. But when it comes to Hanukkah, the main threat, even though there was a physical war that, that surrounded this threat, but the main threat was spiritual. <clears throat> they wanted to wipe out our culture and our connection to Torah. So therefore, it makes sense that our commemoration of Hanukkah should be more spiritually oriented rather than the way it is on Purim, where it's more of a physical celebration. The Taz discusses this view of the Lavush, and he thought that was very surprising because the way he read the Lavush was to say that Purim was a bigger miracle than Hanukkah. And therefore, we have the Suda on Purim and not on Hanukkah. And he said, that's surprising, because if it's true that Purim was about a physical threat and Hanukkah was about a spiritual threat, so don't we believe that ultimately spiritual is more significant than physical and that if we were to die spiritually, wouldn't that be worse than dying physically overall? 
So it would seem like you should say the understanding should go in the other way. So the later commentaries, such as the al they offer an interesting distinction, say that here this was all being forced by the Greeks. So that's a different kind of spiritual liability. This isn't something that the Jews would have been held responsible for. But as the Ksav Sofer notes in his Chuvas, he doesn't think that that's what the Levush meant in the first place. The Levush wasn't trying to say that one was a bigger miracle than the other. He wasn't saying that when it comes to Purim, Purim was more worthy of a Suda because that was a bigger miracle than Hanukkah. Rather, he's just saying that it should correlate, that there should be some sense of reflection of what was going on in how we commemorate it. So if Purim was about a, a physical threat, so then, okay, we should commemorate it with a physical observance with a Suda. While Hanukkah was more about a spiritual threat, so therefore we focus more on the physical, on the spiritual observances of the Halom Hodah and not on the Suda. He also notes other reasons to parallel. So, for example, we know that a part of what brought about the whole problem of Purim, as the Talmud tells us in Mesachus Megillah, is that the Jews participated in an inappropriate Suda in the context of Achashverosh's party. And the Suda of a mitzvah that we have on Purim is a part of a process of correcting and atoning for what the Jews did wrong at the beginning of that whole crisis in the time of Purim. So that's a concept that has a particular association with Purim. It doesn't necessarily carry over to Hanukkah. It doesn't necessarily have the same symbolism and the same message when it comes to Hanukkah. So it's not to say that Purim was necessarily a bigger miracle, but it's to say that there's a, a different theme. Uh, the Taz himself also notes that he thought there was a difference as far as publicity, that when it comes to Hanukkah, what happened wasn't as well known. When it came to Purim, so it was such a, a widespread crisis, everyone knew about the salvation, so that was observed through a Suda, and that became the lasting practice. When it came to Hanukkah, so the Neros became a more appropriate commemoration to reflect the nature of what was going on and also the degree of person. So all of this connects a little bit to the broader theme of Simcha, but also to its specific fulfillment in the sense of a Suda, the question of whether there's an obligation of a meal and how that would play out. So all of this back and forth telling us a little bit something about how Chazal established this day and whether they created an obligation of Suda and whether it was something that fit the mood at all. So one of the ramifications of whether there's an obligation of Suda, we know that we have additions that are put into Berchas HaMazon. When we have a festival, when we have a Shabbos, a Riyantif, so on Shabbos we add Ritzay into the benching, and on Yantif, we add Yalviyavo into the benching. So we know practically that on Purim and on Hanukkah, so we add Alhanisim into the benching. So that we know from our practice. But the Gemara poses the question as far as benching is concerned, the Gemara in Shabbos and Dav Kofdalid raises the question before we really knew what to do. So should we mention Hanukkah in benching? Should we insert Hanukkah into our Birchas HaMazim? 
And Rashi over there explains the nature of the question that al Hanisim is added in practice both to Benchen and to Shmona Esra. But here the Gemara is asking about Benchen. Rashi says when it comes to Tefillah, so it's obvious that we want to include al Hanisim in the Tefillah because the whole point of Chanukah is the Halalulahodos, that we want to praise God. And therefore, we want to insert into our expression of Hodah in the Tefillah, we say Modim. So Modim, we're generally grateful to everything God, through everything God does for us. And on Hanukkah and Purim, we spell it out in more detail. So we say we're grateful for everything else you do all the time, Akash Baruch Hu. And also Al Hanisim, all these great miracles that happened in Hanukkah time when there was this war. So that fulfillment of Hodah through Al Hanisim is a very crucial aspect of what happens on Hanukkah. It's also very noteworthy that we talk a little bit, we alluded to a few minutes ago, the whole question of what's the key miracle on Hanukkah. We pay so much attention to the Pach Hashemen. We give so much awareness to that idea of the oil lasting eight days. But really, the miracle that perhaps deserves even more attention is the military victory. And here, the Ahanisim, which is such a key fulfillment or obligation of Halul Vahodah, doesn't talk about the Pach Hashameh, doesn't talk about the oil at all. It only talks about Masar Tigiborim Biyad Chaloshim Verabim Biyad Ma'atim, that here we were able to overcome great odds. We were able to prevail even when it didn't look like we could win, and we were victorious. So here, this major expression of the Hodah and Hanukkah, it only talks about the war. It doesn't talk about the oil at all, and there's a lot to comment about that. The Maral has an observation that really, indeed, it was the military victory that commands our gratitude on Hanukkah, but possible for us to have thought that that it was just our great generals and our great strategy and our cleverness that was able to turn the tide and to allow us to prevail but that's not really a miracle so Kaddish Baruch Hu put his signature on the whole story with the miracle of Pach Hashemen which was overtly miraculous and that highlighted that Kaddish Baruch Hu was behind everything so okay but one way or another we're grateful for this tremendous nace of the Mohammed, and that's what we express through Al Hanisim. So there's no question that inserting Al Hanisim into our tefillah is a major fulfillment of that, and that's why we take every opportunity for that. In Lakewood, in the days of Avaron Kotler, the practice was that for Mincha they would have a Hechi Kedusha, they wouldn't have a Chazar Sashatz recited out loud. But on Hanukkah, Aaron insisted that there should be Chazar Sashatz recited out loud in order for Pursumanisa that we should declare Al Hanisim as Parish Manasre in public out loud. So Rashi writes here that for sure we understand that Al Hanisim is an important part of Tefillah, and we wouldn't ask the question whether we should insert Al Hanisim into Tefillah. But when it comes to benching, so we're not so sure. So benching here, we have no delacha. The second bracha of benching is the same idea of hoda. So should we put on Hanukkah a reference there as well? Al hanisim, should that be put there as well? So lahalacha, we know that we do that. But that also connects to the question practically of whether the suda is an absolute obligation. 
So when the Suda is an obligation, that affects the extra recitations that we put into benching. For example, Ritzay on Shabbos or Yalav Yavo on Yantif, we say these things. But what would happen if you would bench on Shabbos and you'd forget to say Ritzay? Or if you'd bench on Yantif and you'd forget to say Yalav Yavo? So the Gemara says the rule is that even though you're supposed to say these recitations, ideally they're supposed to be included, but if you omit them, so then the rule as to whether or not you should repeat the benching says that depends on whether the meal is an obligation. So on Yantif or Shabbos, the meal is an obligation. So we have to say Ritzay and Yalav Yavo. And if we leave it out, we have to go back and we have to bench again. But let's say for Cholamoid or Rosh Chodesh, when it's good to have a meal, and we're not permitted to fast on those days, and it's definitely appropriate to have a meal. But if we forget to, so then we're not obligated to repeat the benching. It doesn't invalidate the benching. So what should the rule be for Hanukkah, for al Hanisan? So here, the halacha, indeed, we don't go back. We say al Hanisan l'chachila. We certainly want to say al Hanisan in our benching. It's certainly appropriate and desirable. But if we forget to say al Hanisan, we don't repeat the benching. So that's interesting. It makes sense, according to this whole thread that we've seen so far, that there is a theme of Simcha on Hanukkah, but it doesn't necessarily manifest itself as an actual obligation of Suda. So it makes sense to say that we shouldn't have to go back. It's an interesting question, though, according to the Rambam, that if the Rambam is correct, that it was instituted as a day of Simcha, and there is an actual obligation of a Suda, so then, according to the Rambam, it would seem that one should indeed have to go back. And that was actually the view of the Rav Yo. The Rav Yo maintained that if we do forget al and benching, so we should have to repeat the benching. So it doesn't seem like that would be the case for the Rambam. So if later Svarim discussed the question, if that can be reconciled, that the Rambam understanding that there is an obligation of Simcha on Hanukkah and yet not being required to repeat the benching if we forget to say al Hanisan. So there are some who suggest that even if there's an obligation of Simcha, it's still a, a lower level than Yantif. It's not coming from the Torah itself. So that has a different quality to it. And there are some who suggest that maybe we have to go back to our first sentence here and kind of reread the Rambam, that the Rambam had said there's an obligation of Simcha. And everyone assumed that Simcha means meals, but maybe it's not necessarily true. Maybe it doesn't necessarily follow that there's an actual obligation of a meal. And therefore, maybe even the Rambam would agree that if we forgot to say al we wouldn't go back and repeat the pension. So that's an interesting discussion to have. But as far as practical halacha, we know how we conclude that we should say al in benching. And that if we forget to say it, we don't have to repeat it. But it would certainly seem that if we forget, then we lose a major component. And this goes back to what the Ramah said that we discussed at the beginning, that by singing Zmiros and by saying Divrei Torah and the meals that we have on Hanukkah, we can convert it into a Sudas Mitzvah. So especially here in this context, reciting the formula of Al-Hanisim, which is ideally a obligation 
on Hanukkah is built into the structure of the Berchus Amazon. If we want our meal to be credited as an expression of Simcha and Hanukkah, so we certainly would want to have that acknowledgement in the benching, that that's what we're thinking about, that we are grateful for everything God provides, and especially at this time for all of the miracles associated with Hanukkah, we certainly would want that to be a part of it. Otherwise, we would seem to be missing a prime opportunity. It's an interesting question in general. If we forget to say, would say, on Shabbos or Yalviavu on Yantif, and we say that we have to repeat the benching because the meal is obligatory, it sounds like what the Gemara is getting at is that if you don't have that, the meal is not credited for your obligation, that the benching is fine. It's the same benching that you would say any other day of the year, but you're lacking in the recognition of the day. So if that's really the case, one would think that the obligation shouldn't be to repeat benching. You should have to have another meal. That the meal was good and the benching was good, but it's just not credited to your Shabbos or Yantif, so therefore you should have to have another meal. Rav Shechter discusses this in one of his farim, and it seems like he's saying there that logically that makes sense. Logically, you really should have another meal, but Chazal were Meiko. This depends what you consider to be more of a kula in this situation, that instead of obligating us to have an extra meal, we could have a recitation of the benching again and take that opportunity to remember what we had forgotten before, that this is a meal for Shabbos or for Yontif. So on Hanukkah, we don't require us to bench again, but it's certainly something that we want to try to remember the first time around in the spirits, especially of the Ramah, that is not necessarily a inherent obligation, but we want to take the opportunity to make Hanukkah the theme of our celebration and the meals that we're having and to turn it into a fulfillment of the halal and hodah of Hanukkah. It's also very interesting to note on that language of the Ramah, so we mentioned at the beginning that the Ramah has a few interesting ideas, calling it a, a ksas mitzvah and saying that this miros will change the character of the meal, but he also focused specifically on the Hanukkah samizbeach, as something that we should celebrate. The fact that the altar was rededicated, that's something that we should observe as a source of simcha, and that's why there's this extra element to any meals we may choose to have on Hanukkah. So that's interesting. And Mayor Tversky Shlita has an article that was published in the Sefer many years ago, where he discusses this statement of the Ramah, that we should celebrate the Chanukah Samizbeach, that's itself a, a very interesting idea, because the uh, Mizbeach was dedicated in the various edifices that we had for Korbanos, going back to the Mishkan and the Midbar, was dedicated many times throughout history. So if there's a notion of celebrating that, of uh, having some meal in honor of that dedication. So why only that time? Why don't we have a celebration of every Hanukkah Samizbeach that happened throughout history? And he suggests that the explanation of emphasizing this Hanukkah Samizbeach, that perhaps could be explained by a comment of the Ramban in Sefer Bamidbar, that the Ramban has an observation there that his understanding of the Hanukkah candles is that they were instituted to be essentially a continuation of the message of the Beis HaMikdash, even when the Beis HaMikdash itself is not standing there. Chazal knew that there would be a Chorban, and that we wouldn't always have the Avoda and the Beis HaMikdash taking place. And therefore, they instituted 
the Hadlakas Neiros, uh, as the home version, that basically is the idea that we should take the Avoda and continue that in our own homes, continue that in our own way, even when the Beis HaMikdash itself was not actually standing. So therefore, this Chanukah had a unique status to it because it came together with this institution of the Hanukkah candles. And through the Hanukkah candles, that allows us to carry on the message of the Beis HaMikdash, even when it's not there. And that is separate and distinct from every other type of Hanukkah Samizbech that there was in history. And that carries an extra element of Simcha to it. Uh, we should also note that the whole character of Hanukkah as a Yantif, and this whole exploration that we're trying to carry out, does Hanukkah have a status similar to a Purim? Does it have a status similar to a Yantif Minhat Torah? A Yantif Midrabanan? Is it something somewhere in the middle? Uh, there's also a whole thread that Hanukkah itself is a reflection really of Sukkot, that there was an inability to observe Sukkot at that time, they couldn't get into the Beis HaMikdash. So a few months later, when they got in and they had Hanukkah, so then they set up the eight days of Hanukkah to replace Sukkot. And there are all kinds of details of how Hanukkah is practiced that perhaps reflect this idea that Sukkot is really the model of Hanukkah, and Hanukkah is a way of carrying on the message of Sukkot is a very fascinating idea in and of itself. So part of what's driving this whole discussion is just what really is the character of Hanukkah? Is Hanukkah a Yantif Midrabanan, patterned after a Yantif Minha Torah? Is it not a Yantif? Is it some kind of a festival in the middle? Does it have this component of Simcha? Does it have a theme of Simcha without an obligation of Simcha? What details attach from the concept of a yantif, how many of them are carried on to Hanukkah and how many of them aren't. So one specific detail that was discussed by Reb Shulam Ikutna. Reb Shulam Ikutna was a great gone from 150 years ago. So he discusses in one of his letters that the Talmud tells us that when it comes to yantif, when it comes to Pesach, Mar discusses in the context of Pesach Sheni, that Shloshim Yom Kodem Achag, that 30 days before the Yantif, that they didn't have that obligation. So I think I was muted for a second. He thinks that it's very clear that we don't have an obligation of, of Shorlan Adarshan when it comes to Hanukkah because it didn't apply to Purim. Purim is a bigger deal, so Hanukkah all the more so. We don't have it by Hanukkah either. So that's what he takes for granted. But in some of the later Svarim, they point out that that might be true. And the truth is, we see that the development of this halacha of 30 days before the Yantif, expounding on the Yantif, so that has a lot of subjectivity to it. So it depends on the complexity and it depends on the details and what exactly has to be established. So it could be that we don't have a full obligation of 30 days before Hanukkah to go into all the details of Hanukkah. But as the Gemara also notes in the Rishonim established in reconciling two different conflicting texts, that there are two different obligations of expounding the concept of the that is before. And on the Yantif itself, special obligation to go into the halachos of the day as a fulfillment of emphasizing the theme of the day. 
So this idea that we have a notion of preparing for Yontif a month in advance, so that doesn't perhaps apply to Hanukkah, but the notion that on the day itself, we should study the themes of the day and we should invoke the different halachos in order to enhance our appreciation and our awareness of what we're doing on Hanukkah, that certainly should apply. And that itself will help us to get the mindset that we need to so that we are fully connected and that we are fully aware of what this is about. So our whole share today hopefully helps us to be in that. Just to quickly review very, very briefly, the understanding that there is a chi of Suda, the Shulchanar saying that it's really our Rishos, that it's not set up for that, it's only set up for the Halal Hodal, for Halal Hodal, and the Ramah is saying success mitzvah, invoking both the Chanukah and the and also the fact that we can make it a Sudas mitzvah through Zmiros and through Devrei Torah. The Taz on the Shulchan Aruch emphasizes the view of the Maharshal, who himself emphasizes the view of the Rambam, that there is a Suda, and that anything that publicizes the miracle is itself a Sudas Mitzvah, and the Aruch HaShulchan notes that our Neshamos need this help of the physical enjoyment in order to connect a little bit more. At some point, the Yerida Sadarus, we noted Rishalti, who suggested that technically Chazal couldn't institute a Suda because on Shabbos there's already an obligation of Suda, as we find in the context of Purim. So Hanukkah will always have one or possibly even two Shabbos so they can institute as an obligation. But as a concept, it's certainly there. And we discussed the often quoted view of the Lavosh that distinguishes between Hanukkah and Purim. Purim was a physical miracle, so therefore we commemorated physically. Hanukkah was about a spiritual salvation, so therefore we commemorated spiritually. We discussed the whole back and forth. Does that mean to say that Purim was a greater miracle than Hanukkah? That seems a little bit surprising. And we noted as the Ksav Sofer does understand, it's not about it being a greater miracle. It's about having some kind of correlation to what happens in order to help that be more of a connection in what we're experiencing. And then we noted the question the Gemara asks about whether we have an obligation to mention Al Nisim and Hanukkah in benching. Rashi writes that in Tefillah it's clear because the whole point of Hawa Hoda, so certainly in Tefillah it should be there, but by benching that's a part of the question, which ties into the issue of whether the Suda itself is a reflection of the concept of Hanukkah. The Halacha we do include it in benching, but we don't obligate one to go back, which also reflects the idea that it's not an obligatory Suda, but it's certainly a meaningful Suda. We also added it as Rabbi Tversky noted, the theme of celebrating the Chanukah Samizbeach could be collect could be connected to the Ramban's commentary on Chumash that there is a, a concept here that the Hadlakas Haneros is a continuation of the Avoda and the Beis Hamikdash in our own homes, and therefore it's worthy of particular celebration. And then we noted in Shul Mikutna's discussion that out of all the different aspects of Yantif and the question of whether they're relevant to Hanukkah, so he took it for granted that the obligation of preparing 30 days in advance does not apply to Hanukkah, but as the later Svarim point out, maybe not, but there are two obligations that come out from the Gemara. One, an obligation to prepare and one an obligation in the moment to reflect upon the concepts of Hanukkah. So hopefully we laid the groundwork to do that and establish the foundation just a few hours, if not 30 days before Hanukkah, that the more we're able to bring up these concepts, the more we're able to put ourselves in a mindset where we are both joyous and aware of everything that we have to celebrate, the greater will be our fulfillment the that certainly is the essence of Hanukkah and with that I certainly feel very comfortable wishing you all an extremely happy Freilich and Hanukkah